Well, good morning. If you will, have your Bible open to the book of Colossians, chapter 2. We'll pick up uh, basically where we left off last week, starting in verse 6, working our way down through verse 8, if we can. I'm sure we will. Uh, So that's the the game plan there. Uh, Many, many, many years ago, uh, a gentleman came to talk to me. Uh, He did not come to church. His wife attended the church, uh, but he did not come to church at all. But he wanted to talk to me, and so I was ready to share with him all my brilliance and wisdom and insights to turn his life around. But the reason he wanted to talk to me, though, was he wanted to tell me a thought he had in his head. He said, "Uh, Pastor, I think you should preach on the environment. I said, what? What do you mean? He said, I think you should preach on the environment. This is God's creation. God's people ought to take care of God's creation. You need to talk about environmental responsibility and how we need to take care of the environment, Pastor. I said, well, I notice you don't come to church. How do you know what I'm preaching on? He said, well, I just think we should preach more on the environment. You you need to tell people about taking care of the environment. I said, okay, if I preach on the environment, will you come and listen? He said, oh, no, I can't do that. (laughs) He said, Sunday's the only day I have to go out in God's creation and take photographs. (laughs) Well, that conversation went downhill from there. (laughs) But, you know, and, and I'll just let you in. This is like a little inside trade secret, and all pastors will tell you this. There are always people who are willing to tell you what to preach on. Yeah. They've, they've got something in mind, and you should preach on this issue, some, something that's, that's a favorite of theirs. They might come and say, Pastor, you need to preach on the book of Revelation more. And it's not because they're confused on the book of Revelation. It's because they have all the answers, and they want to check you out. Yeah. Or, or they'll say, you know, Pastor, you should preach on, on, on political themes and help God's people uh, know how, how they should behave in the political arena. And it's not because they're trying to figure anything out. They already know. They've already made up their mind. They already know who they're voting for. They just want you to tell everybody else to agree with them. I mean, you you can suspect that this is true. It comes from all angles. Uh, I once had the great honor of having uh, lunch, or I I think it was dinner, with the uh, Secretary of the Interior under the Reagan administration. Those astute um, people among you will remember who that was. But anyway, I had... uh, uh, dinner with him, and during the course of the dinner, he told me what a disappointment I was, and what a just a a slouch of a preacher I was, because I didn't tell my people how to vote. Now, vote, people! I'll, I will tell you to vote. You know, you have a great privilege in voting. You, this is a great gift that God has given to you. He hasn't given it to everybody in the world, and you have a magnificent opportunity to uh, be a part of the guidance of our country. And this is a gift of God. Your vote actually belongs to God. You know that. It's not yours. You're just a steward of that vote. And so you go before the Lord in prayer and you pray about how to vote and you, and you work through it and, and you think it through and you sur- surrender it to the guidance of God and the will of God. So I, I think as Christians we really don't have a choice unless providentially hindered. We really need to vote but how you vote, the Holy Spirit just moves in, in, in a lot of different ways. But he told me I was a slouch of a preacher. You should be telling people who to vote for. 
And of course, there was no question in his mind of, of for whom <laughs> you know, the people should vote. And um, I think he wound up spending some time in jail. <laughs> but uh, other than that, he was okay. Uh, but there's always people around who, who want to tell you what to preach on, what to talk about. You know, and it's not, and it's not just that from the left and from the right, and, and it is. You, you just look at the history of the church in America and you find out sometimes it's from the right and sometimes it's from the left and certain churches go one way and the other way. It, it's just, it's just human nature. It's what people do. And, and, and so there's, there's just a history of churches in America following one political movement after another and getting played like a violin and then cast, uh, discarded when, uh, when, when the issue's over. But it's not just, it, you know, political pressures and social pressures or maybe moral pressures or whatever it is. It's inside the, the, the business. If I may put it that way, you know, you get pressure from inside the preaching community. You know how you ought to preach? You ought to preach like, you know, they'll name the preacher of the day. You know, it, did, did you know that the pulpit ministry has stars? You know, people who are like, I got to go see him. It's a person that you mention whenever you're going out the door and say, Preacher, I just listened to so-and-so. You should have heard him. <laughs> Love you, sister. <laughs> but, the, um, you know, but whoever it is, you know, and some are preaching motivational sermons. That's what you ought to do. You ought to do motivational sermons. Tell people how they can be, live a better life and be happier and their family will be better and they can cope with finances. Just help them and, and motivate them in life. And every now and then slip in the name of Jesus. And they'll like you so much and they'll be so motivated that they'll start and they'll come hear you preach all the time. And then after a while they'll say, well, who's this Jesus he keeps talking about every now and then? I like the motivation. Who's that Jesus? And then you get to tell them. It's sort of like a bait and switch. You know, and there's the other extreme who says, well, you ought to be preaching this way. Topical sermons. You ought to have all this, you know. And, and there's just pressure on, on what to preach on and what to preach about and all these things. One of the reasons we need to pray for our pastor. Because in some ways the devil has left him alone until now. And he comes after you. And he starts putting in your head and and whispering in your ear, you shouldn't do it that way, you should do it this way. Trying to cast doubt and, and, and second guessing. And so pray for our pastor. See, Paul experienced that. Paul experienced that, um, well, first he had gone to Athens, and in Athens they had a custom where they would all go up to a place called the Areopagus. It was a raised area uh, over uh, outside of the, the, the main city. And there was a place there on the Areopagus where uh, everybody would gather and they would sort of trade ideas. of sort of like um, uh, um, uh, sort of a confab of philosophers and, and, and so forth. And so they, they'd go there and share things. So Paul showed up and said, well, yeah, I, I've got this audience. And he, and he gives this, this amazing, it's one of the most amazing pieces of scripture, sort of introduction to belief in God and the Hebrew God. Um, uh, and it's in Acts chapter 7, and he's talking about God, and we're all, uh, you know, creations of God, and that uh, I noticed that you you really like God's plural, but there's only one God. And, and they're listening, they're very polite. And then he says, and then there's this guy, Jesus, who was crucified, and now he's been raised from the dead. And they left him in droves. Up until the moment he mentioned Jesus and the resurrection, they were with him. And the moment he mentioned Jesus, they were gone. Now, I can tell you that that's sort of a bad feeling, you know, as a preacher. You know, your audience just left you, sort of like you're doing now. 
But, uh, but here's what Paul said about that, because the very next place he went was a place called Corinth. And later on, he, he wrote to the Corinthians. This is in uh, chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. And Paul said, you know, when I got to Corinth, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. See, what Paul was saying that was that it doesn't matter how eloquent the sermon is, it doesn't matter how well-crafted it is, it doesn't matter how entertaining it is or it isn't, it doesn't matter at all about the external aspects of the sermon. The only thing that matters is, was Jesus proclaimed? And was the cross lifted up? And Paul said to the Corinthians, when I got to you, I decided I was just going to talk about Jesus and I was only going to talk about the cross. Because ultimately, that's all you need to hear. And that's all that you must hear. See, in Corinth, there was actually a battle of the preachers. Anybody remember this? If, if, if you don't, uh, your, your homework assignment is go back and read uh, chapter 1 of the book of uh, 1 Corinthians. And in there, evidently at, at Corinth, some of the people were saying, you know, I really like Paul's preaching. And somebody else said, well, I like Peter's preaching better. He's, he's, he just does it for me. I like Peter's preaching. Somebody else said, no, I really like Apollos' preaching. Apollos was a, a like the, the intellectual PhD guy. And uh, so they, they said, oh, we, I really like that preaching. It, it's deep and it's profound. And it's always, you know. And Paul says, you know, I, I hear that there's dissensions that some of you like me and some of you like Peter and some of you like Apollos. He says, what's going on here? Since the point isn't the personality of the preacher. The point is, do you preach Jesus? Do you preach Jesus? And that's why he said, I decided when I got there, I would know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And it's not just preachers. You experience the same thing, don't you? Don't you have a thousand voices in your life that are, that are constantly telling you, go this way, go that way? You know, lean your politics left, right, or indifferent, you know, or, or, you know, uh, the, the, the way that, that you, you relate to the world or the decisions you make, your finances, and, and, and just a thousand voices saying, go this way, go that way. And we're pulled in all directions, and then there's the cultural things that are coming at us, and the, um, well, according to discourse theory, we would say the narrative that is being woven, what it actually is, um, the stories people are telling to try to get you to do what they want. And that's, this is going on all around us. And Paul knew that happens to believers. It happens to churches. And it happens to believers. And so when he wrote to the church at Colossae, and, and, and um, uh, as we talked about last week, Colossae was a church in um, Paul may never have been there, but he knew what was going on there. And they were experiencing people coming in and bringing other messages and stories and, and, and uh, uh, sort of things that they wanted the church to do and how they wanted Christians to behave and so forth. And in the light of that, then Paul writes this to them. This is in chapter 2, verse 6, book of Colossians. It says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. The way you received him, walk in him. You know, I, I, one of the joys of being a pastor is, is, um, is baptizing. Uh, and uh, all, all the way from octogenarians, uh, seriously, and 
uh, down to, the, to the, the smaller children. And one thing I can tell you is every person who comes into the waters of baptism, they are excited to be there. Sometimes they're scared to death to be there, but they are excited to be there. Now, sometimes it's even better when they're scared of water. You know, people come up and say, you know, Pastor, I'd, I'd be baptized but I'm afraid of water. My answer was always, well, someday obedience to God will be more important than your fear of water. And almost invariably it happens. You know, I think they, they have to get to know me to see if they'll trust me to bring them back up again. <laughs> but almost everybody, I, I'll, I'll say it, everybody I've baptized came into the waters excited. Now, sometimes it, it was... It was maybe a child, they don't understand what they're doing. And maybe it was an adult, and they don't understand what they're doing. All we know is that the Holy Spirit got a hold of their lives, and they want to be baptized in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because baptism is the representation of how you came to believe in Jesus. Now, what, what is baptism about? Baptism is when someone goes under the water, and they come back up out of the water. But it's not about them. It's about Jesus, who was buried for our sins, who was put to death for our sins, who died on our behalf and was buried. And he came up out of that grave. We just sang about that a moment ago. And when you're baptized, you're not talking about, hey, here's what I've done. You're talking about, look at what Jesus has done. Jesus buried on my behalf for my sins, raised so that I might walk in units of life. That's how we come to know Christ. That's how we receive Christ. We receive him at the cross. We receive him at the cross where he put his body on the cross and it was broken for us and his blood was shed for us. And so walk in him that way. Walk in him with the, the excitement that Jesus Christ died for your sins. That's why Christian preaching is the preaching of the cross. And all the way that it works out in life. But without the cross, it, it just doesn't make any sense. You received him with excitement and you received him with joy. You received him at the cross when, when you, you accepted that forgiveness of sins. But then the scripture goes on and says, and as you received him, so walk in him. And if you were looking at the Greek grammar, you would see that the word received is in something called the aorist tense. And what that means is it's, it's just sort of like an action one time, that's it. You received Christ. You were born again. God doesn't change his mind. When he calls someone into his family, he never lets go of them. When you are saved, you are eternally and always saved. God never lets go of the elect. And so that you received Christ, that's a one-time event, but then you would say, so walk in him, that's in the present tense, and in Greek that means it's a continuing action. So, so keep on walking in him. Daily walk in Him. Let that walk be a constant thing. You say, well, well, how does that work out? Well, Jesus knew His disciples would have a little bit of trouble with that because just before He was betrayed, in the night in which He was betrayed, He took bread and He took the cup. He said, guys, sit down. I'm, I'm filling in the blanks right now. And He said, guys, I know you're going to have trouble with this because it, you're just human beings and your minds are going to wander off. But as often as you get together and you eat this bread and you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. It's not like they were going to forget Jesus. It wasn't that, that oh, well, you know, a, a few years later they'd say, yeah, who was that Galilean carpenter who hung around us for a while? What was his name? You know. 
says, no, remember this about me. That this is my body which is broken for you. That your sustenance and your life depends on a broken body. And this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Your relationship with the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit, that relationship depends upon the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He says, as often as you drink that just, just on an ongoing basis, you come and you remember that it was my death on the cross and my resurrection that has saved you. So he says, as you received him, baptism, you only get baptized once because you're only born again once. But so walk in him, the Lord's Supper, it's an ongoing fellowship and relationship that takes place all the time. So, so, so the way you come to him, you live in him and keep walking in him. And Paul, so he, he describes what that means. He says, look, what that means is, and this is verse 7, you're rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. You're rooted and built up. That's sort of a mixed metaphor. Uh, it's, a, it's a tree metaphor. Your, your roots are sunk deep into Christ. It's a building metaphor. You're being built up for Christ. Back in First uh, Corinthians 3, Paul said, there's no foundation that can be laid other than the one that is laid, and that's Jesus Christ. He says, you just can't have any other foundation. That, that's what a church is about. That's what your life is about. That's what our church is about. It's about the foundation of Jesus Christ. He said, no other foundation can be laid other than the one that is laid. That's Jesus Christ. Now, be careful how you build on it. You're going to build, and some will build with gold, and some with silver, and some with precious stones. Some will build with wood, and some with hay, and some with straw. He says, how you build on that house is going to be the outworking of your discipleship. He said, but, but take care and look at that, because there's a time of testing and judging that comes. And when the fire comes, the wood and the hay and the straw, they are consumed. He said, that person is saved as through fire. How much better have built with the gold and the silver and the precious stones given by the Holy Spirit, shown to us through the Scriptures, brought into our lives by the ministry of, of the Spirit in our lives. He says, how much better when you stand the test? So, so be built up in Him and, and, and look at that and take care of that and, and, and be aware of that. And so he says, rooted and built up in Him. And then he says, established in the faith. Now, um, that word the is kind of important. Uh, it's not always important in English, but in Greek it, 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 it has a definite function. The word the um, is used to say, I'm talking about something I've already mentioned and that you already know about. He doesn't say established in faith, as, as in, well, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe something. You, know? you, you, know, you just got to believe. doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe. That word the, the faith, says, I'm talking about a particular faith. It's faith in Jesus Christ. It's faith in the cross. And you are established in that faith. It does matter what you believe. It matters greatly what you believe. He said, so as you're walking in, in him, rooted in him, being built up in him, and established in faith in him. Now look at the last um, phrase of verse, I think it's seven we're talking about. Is it seven? Am I to seven yet? No. Yes, seven. Abounding in thanksgiving. 
See, th- thanksgiving is the exact opposite of grumbling. And thanksgiving is the exact opposite of having to get your own way. Thanksgiving is the exact opposite of always finding fault with others. See, thanksgiving is what translates faith in Christ, the faith, into an attitude. Thanksgiving to God, humility, being thankful for what God is doing in the lives of others. You know, and, and looking out for their welfare rather than uh, your own, as, as Randy reminded us a few weeks ago. So, so, so walk in him with all these things. Now, here's how important this is, how significant it is. It's not just that it would be nice if all believers in Jesus Christ would live that way. It would be nice, but he's not just saying, oh, that would be nice. He's saying, here's, here's what's, what's at, at stake here is your life is at stake here because there are powers in the world that are seeking to capture you. There are powers in the world. You know, it, it, just the, um, uh, I think John and I, or, or was it David? Anyway, one of you guys, we were talking about zeitgeist. I'm getting blanks from both of them. There you go. It wasn't David, but he's claiming it. But the zeitgeist is just German for spirit of the times. There's a spirit of our times that is trying to pull people in this direction and that direction. You know, we feel it palpably in our country. And it's so tempting to go with this flow. You know, you hear phrases like the flow of history, be on the side of history. Be on the side of Christ. Amen. But, um, uh, but there, there's, there's, there's almost in the air that, that you're breathing in the pollution of the world. And if you're not careful, it'll make you a prisoner of war. Because that's what he means in verse 8. When he says this, see to it that no one takes you captive. That, that's a word that was used to talk about taking captives of war. You've lost the battle, now you're going to be put in a POW camp. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. See to it that no one takes you captive by the world's philosophy. That word philosophy is kind of interesting here. Uh, We we normally assign the word philosophy to speculation, uh, mainly speculation about God, about man, human beings, and speculation about the truth. And if you're a student of philosophy, you, you read about what Plato and Aristotle speculated, and you read about what uh, uh, the Neoplatonists speculated, and then you, you read about Aquinas and what he speculated, and, and um, then you'll read about uh, Spinoza, and you'll get really excited. But he's still just, expec- just speculating uh, as well. And you might even get to Blaise Pascal, who's like really good in the Pensees, but that's speculation going on there. And then you, you'll get to Hume and Berkeley and... And, you, and you know, if you're really into philosophy, you'll read a little bit of Immanuel Kant, and you think that's really great. And then you get to Russell and, and Wittgenstein, and you think they're really great and all that. And here's what happens is, you've read nothing but human speculation. We are not about speculation, we are about revelation. We're not about what people think might be right or wrong. We are about what God has revealed to us is right and true. And in that sense, it, it makes perfect uh, uh, meaning for, for Paul to say, look, um, don't let anyone make you a, a captive of war, a POW, by the world's speculation, by philosophy. And he even goes on, by the way, I'm not against philosophy. We all have philosophies of some sort. Uh, lately, I've been into Platonism. But, and, and, and a lot of, I'll just give this to you. 
A lot of arguments in the world today can be understood as the argument between Plato and Aristotle. That didn't mean a thing to you, but I just had to say it. <laughs> anyway, and Plato was right, by the way. But um, <laughs> he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition. And then it has this phrase, according to the elemental spirits of the world. Scholars debate about what that means, the, the word is stokeia, um, and it, we, we're not sure what it means. It, it's used to talk about the ABCs, the elements of a thought or a process it's, or, or, in something that, well, here, here's the bottom line of it. The world has a basic way of looking at, at, at reality, and we look at reality through the eyes of Christ. The world has a basic way of explaining what's going on. Jesus Christ is the explanation. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. That's why he says, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Don't get sidetracked off there. And by, let me just throw this, this verse for you. For in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. <laughs> it's hard to have the fullness of de- deity dwelling in you bodily without being the deity. Okay. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So why are we looking at other authorities and listening to other voices? It says you've been filled in Christ, you've been brought to Christ. So see to it that no one takes you captive, makes you a prisoner of war through human thought processes and human traditions when you have the revelation of God, ultimately the revelation of the Father in the Son, revealed to us, made known to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a significant thing. It's a significant thing for our church. You know, we need to understand that in our, in, in our fellowship, in our church together, uh, that uh, it, it's just easy for us. You know, during the week, we're listening to a thousand different things, and then we come together, and we talk about a thousand different things. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to be listening to the Father's voice given to us by the Holy Spirit. That voice is ultimately, I mean, if you want to distill it down, it's Jesus is Lord. And that's it. And when we come together, we need to understand Jesus is Lord. I like our our little table here. It it makes me feel real young. And I'm I'm glad to have it. But I like the old pulpit too because inside of it, we we had inscribed. You may not know this, but we had inscribed in the old pulpit where only the pastor could see, Sir, we would see Jesus. And that's the preaching ministry, to present Jesus week after week after week after week, to tell the old story, because those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. To just talk about Jesus constantly. And where this is going to hit your life is this coming week. Just stop to think about how many different voices and influences are trying to pull and push you around mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. The myriad of ways in which the world is trying to, to, to conform you to some agenda. And then remember that you received Christ Jesus. And you received him gladly and with excitement and with a wholehearted devotion. And the way you received him, walk in him. You know, and listen to him. Let your life be rooted in him. And and build your life upon him, making sure that no one takes you captive.
according to the world rather than Christ. And so what I'd like to ask you to do this coming week is to just very consciously each day just remind yourself, I'm a child of the King. I belong to Jesus. I'm a part of His body. My life belongs to Him. And then build your life. Walk in Him. Even as you received Him, so walk ye in Him. Let's bow together in prayer. And Father in heaven, we are grateful, grateful that it's your grace that has brought us to this place. Not our wisdom, not our understanding, not our strength, not our ability, but Father, it's all from you. And so we pause to give you thanksgiving and honor and praise for the majesty of who you are and the wonder of what you have done in our lives. Father, we pray for the ministry of your Holy Spirit to keep us focused on Christ, to set our eyes on things above where Christ is. And Father, that throughout every vineyard, every area, every aspect of our being, we would be found to be followers of Jesus alone. And I ask it in his name. Amen.